be great. Well, let's dive back in today. We are in our second week of kingdom power. We have taken from this verse from Acts chapter 8, excuse me, 1 verse 8, uh, you will receive power. And that's the idea for us. We are in six to eight weeks. It may be longer. It's a beautiful piece about it. We can just go as long as we want to, man. Like we're talking about God's power and it gets better and better every week. We'll just keep on talking about it until we're done, right? It's the beauty of it. And so there's freedom. So, so in that, we're talking about the kingdom power. And last week we began the conversation and I said, hey, before we even dive into what it is and all this kind of stuff, I want to begin asking a foundational question that I believe is important for everyone to answer. And the question I wanted you to pray into, think about for the week was this, what do you, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about God? How do you live your life in context to who God is? I told you I live with the conviction that what comes into your minds when we think about God This is the most important thing about you and me, and it tells us who we are and how we live your life. Where you land with your view of God, your belief in God, will determine everything about your life. Either you live life in belief of God and you trust him, or you do not, and you have to then trust and rely upon self. Those are really your only two options. We said true belief in God, as in what the word believe, pastuo, means in the Greek. It means we have a belief grounded in confidence and trust, right? Belief in God means we lean into God, we trust him and have confidence in him in all circumstances. The idea is if you were standing up here today, right, representing God, right, and I then leaned into you with all of my weight and you held me me up. That's the nature of belief, confidence, trust, because I'm believing that you won't move because if I move, then I would, if you move, then I would fall over. And so the idea is in every part of my life, I'm leaning into, I have faith in, I trust and believe God with my business with my finances, with my children, right? So I don't have worry and anxiety in all of those areas because I know that he is good and kind and leading and guiding and directing in those areas of my life because I can lean into and trust. He will provide, care for, and fight for me at all times. Faith, belief, trust. That's what we're talking about in the context and the nature of belief. And we said true belief, again, this grounded confidence and trust in who God is, leaning into him, and we trust him to lead our lives. Now, as we said last week, this type of, this is important. I'm catching you up from last week, okay? Better take a deep breath and tell yourself, I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus, right? As we said last week, this type of belief, it's imperative For your personal salvation. Multiple times in scripture, Jesus says, specifically in the book of John, the gospel of John, he says, he says, if you believe, then you will have eternal life. That's John 3.16, right? And it's quoted multiple times by Jesus. This idea of confidence, faith, and trust, and leaning into Jesus is a prerequisite, is a foundation for our own salvation, our own relationship with God, and living with him for eternity, right? I live my 
my life and say, I believe that Jesus is God. I will then devote my life and all of my circumstances I hand to him. He is Lord and leader and guiding my life. So belief is the foundation for your relationship with Jesus. But we said last week in this idea of belief that belief is also this place and imperative and a prerequisite for receiving our inheritance of God's power is talked about in Acts chapter 1 and John 14. Remember last week we said, Jesus says, believe in me and you will do the works that I have been doing and even greater works than these will you do because I'm leaving. The because I'm leaving is important because when he leaves, he's going to send his Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Belief, hear this, your faith and confidence and trust in God and leaning into him is a prerequisite, an imperative prerequisite for the power of God to be released in our lives. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to talk to all of you now who have belief in God, okay? I'm not trying to leave behind those people who don't believe We can have a conversation later, but I'm going to talk this morning specifically to those of you who have belief in God. Now, let me just say, this is important. I don't mean that you are perfect in your belief, never having doubts, never waffling in your confidence in God, right? This idea of like this waffling sometimes and having tension is is perfectly normal for every human being, every believer. Why? Because you still live, how many of you still live in a flesh body that struggles? Right? Yeah. All of us do. And so in that struggle, there's always these tension. There's always these moments when something bad happens, right? This tension occurs and you find yourself going, oh, is this shaky ground? Right? And you have that moment of waffling. So I hope that you can feel invited into the conversation this morning if your belief, quote unquote, isn't perfect as you define perfection. What I'm talking about is the people who are committed to a lifestyle of belief. I believe, but help my unbelief like we said last week, right? I love that. It was super important last week. I thought it was so profound. I loved it. The dad said, uh, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And I think Jesus, this is my opinion. I read into it. I see pictures. I think Jesus just kind of gave him the knowing grin, the nod of understanding of being a, a frail and fragile human being. He says, bro, I got you. Boom, healed, right? I think that's what he did. That's just my personal opinion. You can disagree with me. I don't care. So in this, it's beautiful. I think there's this nature of belief. He's not expecting perfection, but he's looking for an intentional pursuit of this confidence, faith, and trust in him. We said last week, for those who believe that God has an inheritance of power available to us, again, as stated in Acts chapter 4, Excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and verse 8, this is on the screen. Acts 1, 4 tells his disciples to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, he tells them you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Just look at those real quick. You've got to recognize as you go back in like verse 9, 10, 11, then Jesus leaves. He ascends. Supernaturally, a cloud comes down woo, and takes them up. Who knows what it sounded like? I'm sure it was cool. That's the moment. He has this moment. He says, guys, 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 you've got to do this for me. What do you want, Jesus? Will you just wait for, wait, just wait. 
Just wait in Jerusalem for the promise that I have for you. Okay, peace out. Be gone. Now, Scripture does not use the word inheritance to what they're waiting for, but I believe it fits perfectly for what we receive and why. First, we all understand the idea of inheritance. Someone dies, someone passes, someone moves along, and they leave behind their greatest assets for the ones that they love for the purpose of helping them succeed in life. The idea is, hey, I love you. I'm leaving. I know it's going to be difficult and painful for you, so I will leave something of value behind to help. Now, let me tell you about what I used to receive as a kid. I was telling this story this week to somebody. If it was you, I apologize. I can't remember who it was. But when I was a kid, I used to get super sad whenever my grandparents would leave my house, my mom's parents. They were the best, especially my grandpa. We were tight, right? And whenever they get ready to leave and I'm like one, two, three years old, I would cry every single time that they would leave. That's the expectation of my grandkids, by the way, when we leave in some form or fashion and time, right? That's what I'm expecting. But, but in this, right, there came this point where all of a sudden one day I'm crying, crying, and crying. And my grandpa says, hey, Steve. I'm like, what? As he said, I left you something in my room. See if you can find it when I leave. And I went, okay, okay. And I'm like, bye. You're right. Woo, started running upstairs, right? And so for the rest of my life, as long as he was alive until I was 12 years old, every single time they would leave, underneath his pillow, he would leave two packs of Big Red and usually some quarters and a dime or a dollar or whatever it may be as inflation increased, right? He left something behind because he knew how painful it was for me in the leaving, right? That's the nature of inheritance is this thing that's left behind for those who, who are loved by the person who's leaving to be an asset to help them to live and to succeed and get to a healthy place in life. And so in this morning, this idea, right, it's painful, but this idea of inheritance of God's power is then left behind through the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. It's our inheritance. And so what you believe, that's the starting point. You have to believe. But that when you believe, I want to say to you that there is an inheritance that's been left behind of God's spirit that then empowers. And before we get into the what all of that means, I'm a huge believer in the why. I want to answer the why. Why is this happening? Why did Jesus do this? Because I don't know about you, but there's one thing just to have someone leave me something. There's a whole nother piece to that when they write a letter to tell me why. That why is so important to me. If someone can tell me, hey, I've left you X over here, that's great, but here's the reason why. Here's what I think about you. Here's the heart behind it. Here's the motivation of my heart in doing it. That motivation speaks volumes in and of itself. It is an inheritance as well as the physical, right? The emotional connection, that heart behind it has just as much meaning. And I want to begin at that place. I don't want you just to get excited about what you now have. 
I want you to get excited about why you have it and how that connects to you in relationship to God. I want to turn to this inheritance of power, right, and our inheritance of God's spirit this morning by turning first to John 17. If your Bibles, you can turn there, starting in verse 6. You can read all the way down to verse 19. No Bible, then you can just follow along on the screen. Here we go. I have revealed you. This is Jesus speaking. He's praying to the Father. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus is talking about the eleven. He's talking about those whom he's closest with, those whom he has the most unique and powerful relationship with. He loved everybody equally, but he did have a unique life experience with the 11. They are not more important, but they are uniquely important to him. He says, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Powerful right there. While I was with them, I protected them. And I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 13, I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word. The world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. John 17, the whole chapter, is the longest prayer we ever see Jesus praying in scripture it's what's called the high priestly prayer right the high priestly prayer is just so powerful no other words in scripture listen no other words in scripture portray so powerfully the heart of jesus towards his disciples than this chapter it's a beautiful place to sit a beautiful place to rest a beautiful place to study a beautiful place just to read and allow it to wash over you in verse 6 he starts praying for the 11 disciples with whom he has had a unique powerful intimate relationship over the past three years he says in verse 9 he says i pray for them he goes i'm not praying for the world but simply for the 11 those you have given me jesus will pray for everyone in the upcoming verses he'll pray for you he'll pray for me but here he is focused on those who are most intimate and those who are closest to him he then prays what i believe is the ache of his heart the ache of his heart in verse 11 when he says i will remain in the world no longer but they're still here and i'm coming to you So, Holy Father, you've got to protect them. 
by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that no one, so that, so that they may be one as we are one. He's praises. It says in here that he had protected them while he was on earth. His name had protected them. Now he's just praying that now that he's not here, the Father would still protect them. He goes on in verse 13 and tells them he is sharing these words for them to hear, obviously to continue to read through generation because he wants them to have the full measure of joy within them, in them. And he asks in verse 15 that God will protect them from evil. What I read into the Jesus, into Jesus' high priestly prayer is the heart of a friend. It's the heart of a loved one who wants to make sure that those whom he loves will be well taken care of when he's gone. Well taken care of when he leaves. He wants them to be full of joy, protected. He wants them to be empowered and to be unified as one. Jesus wants them to be cared for. Jesus has compassion and he wants to leave behind everything that they need in his absence. He wants to leave them an inheritance, an inheritance of caring for, guarding, and protecting them. We get to begin to see the why of the Holy Spirit coming, the Holy Spirit with us, the Holy Spirit empowering. Now, with this in mind, I want to look back a few chapters at the end of John 13, the whole of John 14. Now, I'm not going to read it all this morning. We looked at it last week, and I encourage you to read it yourself this week. So I'm just going to pull some pieces out that I think are important. But what we see clearly in, the, in John 13 and the disciples is we begin to see severe concern and destabilization in their own lives with the idea of Jesus no longer being with them. Jesus tells them in chapter 13 that one of them is going to betray him that he will only be with them a little bit longer, that where he is going, they, they cannot come, at least not yet. And the de facto leader of their whole group, Peter, well, he's going to disown Jesus three times before the cock crows. Right? I don't know about you, but if that's my, my conversation with Jesus. I'm not feeling real good in the moment. I'm not celebrating the conversation we just had, right? What I hear him saying is our leader is going to disown him. He's going to leave us. We thought we were with him forever to the end, and we can't go to where he's going, and he's leaving us behind. This is not good. This is not good. The moment Jesus looked at them, chapter 14, verse 1 says, well, well, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why did he say that? Because he could see them reeling. Have you ever been in one of those moments of a conversation? You're having an honest conversation with somebody that you love. You've been not being dreading the conversation, not looking forward to the honest conversation, the honest thoughts, right? And all of a sudden you start talking and you just see their, their, their face go white and they're just like about to pass out. They're like, oh, this is too much for me to bear. Just sit down, please, right? That's the moment they're having. And it's really difficult. He's looking at them saying, Peter, you know you just said you're going to walk with me forever. You're going to betray me, bro. This ain't good. Listen, we have to remember that these guys, they're, they're, they're just human beings. They're just human beings like you, just like me. When we, as human beings, when we love a, know we're going to lose a loved one, it hurts. It's scary. It can become very disillusioning. When someone that we love says very hard and difficult things to us, it can overwhelm us. It can frustrate us. It can become too much for us. It can destabilize us. Jesus has dropped a very heavy reality on all of them. Maybe Peter, the heaviest 
the heaviest weight has been dropped in the moment he tells them not let their hearts be troubled because they were probably well on their way to being very troubled. And the problem with anyone's heart when this happens is we all of a sudden lose, we lose sight of reality. We can't hear, we can't listen, and we just become overwhelmed. I can imagine here that uncertainty and discouragement had hit them hard. They were probably deflated, and they needed to be encouraged and enlightened and strengthened. Why is this important this morning? I would say that there's a high chance that it is Jesus' experience. Listen, this is important. Why do we read this? I believe it's highly important that in John 14, Jesus' experience, I think it was probably part of what fueled his prayer in chapter 17. I mean, if in chapter 14, just the idea of Jesus leaving them sent them into a tailspin, imagine how overwhelming it would feel when it actually happened. And he knows in John 17, it is happening, it's imminent, probably that day, that night. And he's looking back, he's looking back as a friend, as one who loves and has compassion. And so in this recognition that just in sharing the words, they went into a tailspin. Now in John 17, probably go into it for real. Jesus has prepared what I see as a twofold inheritance with his hopes of quelling all the fears and empower them for their lives, knowing that Jesus wouldn't be personally present. The first inheritance is named in chapter 14, verse 16, put on the screen. It says, I will ask the Father. We've already read this. I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper, the advocate or counselor, depending on your translation, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Their first inheritance is the person of the Holy Spirit or what's the promise of the Holy Spirit as in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. You read earlier where Jesus named the Spirit as the inheritance they're supposed to wait for in Jerusalem. So the question then is, okay, then if the Holy Spirit's coming as our inheritance, what will the Holy Spirit do? Well, number one on the screen, what will the Holy Spirit do? Replace Jesus on earth. This is important. Replace Jesus on earth. The word another, John 14, 6, it means another of the another of the same kind, an exact replica. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus in his divinity and his love. The Holy Spirit will be Jesus' substitute on earth after he leaves. The Holy Spirit is the perfect replacement for Jesus. And so Jesus, chapter 14, chapter 17, has his concerns. Says, Note, I need you to wait for the promise. I need you to wait for the Holy Spirit, he's going to be my replacement. Number two, what what would the Holy Spirit do? Help advocate and counsel all of God's people. That's the idea of 416. The Greek word used for helper, another helper in verse 16, is this Greek word paraclete. Not parakeet, that would be weird, right? But paraclete. Doesn't have the exact doesn't have a great perfect English rendering, but by tying these three words together, it gives an idea of the Holy Spirit's role in your life. The Holy Spirit will help, will advocate, and counsel all of us, all of them in their life. That's what his role is. Three, what will the Holy Spirit do? Dwell with 
and be in you. Dwell with and be in you. That's verse 17, right? R.A. Torrey said this, the work, it's not on the screen, but the work and person of the Holy Spirit, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, the book, the name of the book, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal power slash energy that emanates from God, but instead is a real person, just like Jesus, an ever-present loving friend and mighty helper who doesn't just live with us, but dwells inside of us. You can't get a closer proximity than with and in. With and in. This was the anticipation, the expectation of Jesus and his leaving. When you wait, I'm going to send my inheritance the Holy Spirit who will help, who will advocate, who will counsel, who will dwell in and be with you. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Number four, it just He keeps us, the Holy Spirit keeps us from being orphans. At vintage, we are all about the displaced and orphaned children, right? Here, Jesus knows they are afraid of being without him. They are afraid of losing their rabbi, their spiritual teacher, afraid of losing their leader, afraid of of losing their spiritual father. But Jesus is sending his spirit and is confident, hey, I will not leave you as as orphans. That's that's verse, uh, I don't have it on here, I think verse 17, 18, 19, whatever it is, right? I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. Dwell with you and be in you. Jesus is sending his spirit and he's confident that the spirit will be with and be in. They will not be alone ever. Listen, we live in one of the mo- one of the loneliest generations ever. Ever. There are more books than you can Shake a stick at out there talking about this generation. Gallup did a study talking about the nature of just being, I feel like an abandoned, rejected, and forgotten group. We live this life of separation, and Jesus is coming and saying, It's a lie. It's a lie. Part of my prayer time, God, is make me aware of how not alone I ever am. That you, the Holy Spirit, dwells with and in. And I am not an orphan. And I am never alone. God, I rebuke that lie of the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy and pull me away. What does the Holy Spirit do? Number five, teaches all things and reminds us of everything that Jesus said. Teaches all things, I think it's verse 27, 29, and reminds us of everything Jesus said. Here's the point. I want you all to hear this. This is really important. I don't know what theological uh, circle and vein you ever grew up in, but the only way the Holy Spirit can teach and remind is if he is still speaking today. It's important. The only way he can teach is if he's able to speak to us in moments of our life. Some people say, well, we have the Bible. What about those who can't read, which is like 50% of the world? Are the people who can't read and don't have the Bible or don't own a Bible, can they never hear God's voice? That's a silliness. It's just illogical. 
Jesus is still speaking. He teaches and he reminds us of everything Jesus said. Everything he teaches is in the bounds of what Scripture would say and what Jesus has taught, never outside of that. But he teaches and he reminds. He's always speaking. I wake up every day saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. What do you have for me today? What are you doing? What are you speaking? What are you saying? Super important. All right. So all of these things are the first part of the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. I'm getting to the end. Don't worry. But take a deep breath. All right. Fantastic. You can definitely let it out. All right. Second part of the inheritance. If you notice in this first part, all of these things that we named are benefits for us, right? They were interpersonal commitments of Jesus caring for his disciples. All of them, right? The Holy Spirit comes to replace Jesus, help advocate counsel, dwell with and be in, keep us from being orphans and teach us all things and remind us. It's all this kind of interpersonal commitment of Jesus caring for his disciples, But the second part of the inheritance is different. Yes, it's still the work of the Holy Spirit, part of the work of the Holy Spirit. But the second part of our inheritance is all about enablement, an inheritance of power that empowers you. It empowers me for life and for ministry or just ministering to people. I don't mean you're in full-time ministry. I'm saying, no, that everywhere that you go, you get to be Jesus to people. Listen, back in the day when Paul was tent making, he was still ministering. He was still, he was ministering making money, doing work, hard work, and just being Jesus to people, right? Everywhere he went, empowered by God's Spirit, he was being Jesus to people. So the second part of our inheritance is about enablement. It's the language of Acts 1-8. I've already read it three times. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth, right? This is this beautiful reality. You say, I need you to wait. I need you to wait. Now, you know, I care about you. I told you in John 14. I prayed for you in John 17. I'm going to care for the interpersonal needs that you have in your life. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to fight for you and defend you. And I'm going to empower you. It's the second part. It's the empowerment in our lives. I have to tell you this, that one of the scariest commands... One of the scariest commands in all of Scripture is the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus says, you've heard this, Go go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Listen, just being super straight, ain't none of them and ain't none of us capable of fulfilling this type of commitment and this command in our own strength. Ain't none of y'all. I'm just telling you, I can't do it either. That scares the poo-poo out of me to even think about doing it. There's no way I'm going to fail. I don't know about you, but if I see somebody that I don't know and I feel compelled to go talk with them, I become like, and I'm like an extrovert. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I start melting on the inside. Have you ever felt that? Like, oh, my gosh, what if they hate me? And what are they going to like me if this goes terribly? I'm like, oh, right? And I'm like, this is, I'm so fear-ridden. This is ridiculous, right? Oh. And Jesus says, I know. So I will enable you. I will empower you. He knows you. He knows me. He knew all his disciples. He knew they were scaredy cats. He knew that Peter, man, strong Peter's going to disown him three times in one morning. And then what happens? We'll probably talk about it. 
He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and what does Peter do? He stands up and preaches and proclaims the message of the gospel of Jesus. He went from being scared Peter over here to empowered Peter. He says, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Watch out. Right? There's an enablement. There's an empowerment. Y'all, it's not just their inheritance. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. And it gets to be mine too. The word for the power in the Greek is simply dunamis, so we get the word dynamite. It means what you think it means, inherent ability or strength. So if someone up here walked up here and they had really big muscles, and then you just compared them to my little bitty muscles, you would recognize in comparison, some of you are taking notes, Steve has little bitty muscles, right? In that moment, you would go, oh, in comparison, this, he, this muscular guy has more inherent ability and strength than Steve does, and you just know it by watching. That's what power is. That's what dunamis is. That's what he's giving. He's putting in, in us inherent strength or ability so that when he looks at us, he always sees us as muscle-bound in the spirit. That's the idea. We see power expressed. You've seen it, Jesus, Luke 8, 32, with healing the woman with the issue of blood. He says, someone touched me. I know that dunamis has gone out from me, right? We see it again and again in Scripture. This is the last paragraph, and I'm done. We see power expressed in the life of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. Healings, miracles, deliverance of demons, all the big stuff. But we also see it expressed as moral power, moral power, turning the other cheek, loving our enemies, sacrificial love that literally enables me to die, not just for my loved ones, because anyone would do that according to Jesus, but to lay down my life for a stranger or even for an enemy. I'm all about dying for Randall. I could name a lot of people I probably did not want to die for. And the power of God says, I'll enable you and empower you even to be like Christ in that. Humility, meekness. Meekness is a great word. It's power restrained for redemptive purposes. Right? Power restrained for redemptive purpose. That's I'm going to restrain my abilities so that other, some others can live. What we do with our kids all the time, right? I have the ability to care for them, but I'm not going to so they can learn to care for themselves. It's this power and every expression of it that Jesus is referencing in Acts 1.8. The power he used while on earth, and he wants and he has given it to all his disciples who believe. If I invited you in as one who believed and you believe, then past tense you possess the inheritance of God. As we read last week, as a reminder, John fourteen twelve, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do. And greater works than these will he or she do because I am going to the Father. Our starting point for talking about power is belief. Conviction and trust of 
leaning with all of myself into God, knowing sometimes because I'm human, I'm going to waffle in that and struggle. But not waffling, I choose a lifestyle that I'm always going to lean back into and trust and have faith and believe. And in that belief, then all of a sudden it becomes like this opening of a door to the inheritance of God, of him caring for us and the person of God's spirit with us, in us, close to us, fighting for us, loving us, and then coming along and then empowering us. And I'm just going to end it. This is a real simple response today. It's just real simple. Aaron can come ahead and lead or whoever's leading worship for us at the end. Simply this. Always be asking yourself where you are with belief. Help Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Second, I want to invite you into honesty around embracing the truth of your inheritance. This is not to be guilt. I just want to like, I just think it's super helpful to be honest with yourself. What do I actually believe about this inheritance? What do I actually believe about the person of Holy Spirit being with me in the same way Jesus was with his disciples? And that Jesus actually believed that there was, it's actually better, John 14, so it's actually better that I go. Because I have to be outside of you as human being, but Holy Spirit can be in you and with you. It's going to be better. And that's hard to believe because being person, like face-to-face, suddenly, right? So I have to be honest about that tension. Be honest about where you are of saying, I can engage that, engaging those five truths. Do I see him as advocate? Do I see him as comforter? Do I see him as the one who is with me? Do I see myself never as an orphan? I walk alone every day of my life surrounded by the beauty of a most perfect relationship, and I love it. Where are you? Where are you in the context of believing and engaging and expressing the power of God? Yes, in the big stuff, and also in the moral stuff. I'm hesitant to tell the story because it makes me look good, but it was super humbling this week. Kid really important to me, he's a, he's a freshman age in college. He, he texted me and said, hey, Mr. Hambrick, can we get together and do dinner? said, bro, be loved to. Let's meet at Mellow Mushroom on Dallas Highway. Brother-in-law owns it. You should all go patron and be go get some food there. So I met him there. We start talking, 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 talking. Forgive me for telling this story, guys, but it's just, it's so profound to how, who God, what God does in people. He just said, I was with a buddy of mine outside the Louvre. They were in France. We were at a coffee shop, and he said, Hey, man, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I just went off selfishly and said, well, I want, to, I, want to, I want to make a difference in the world. I want to write books. I want to do this, this, and this. He goes, look back to the other guy and says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he goes, I just want to be a good man. I just want to be a good 
man. Again, forgive me. He says, Mr. Hambrick, that's, that's, that stayed with me, and I don't know what to do with it. So I got home, and I created a list of every man that I knew in my life who was good. And you're at the top of the list. And I just wanted to sit with you and have you tell me, what do I need to do to be a good man? Listen, y'all. If you could see into my heart or live in our home or be Randall, there's a lot of not good man in me. There's a lot of not good man in me. I'm not saying that to be falsely humble. I literally mean I could give you a long laundry list of things that I'm displeased with in my life that I don't respect or appreciate about me that make me not feel good. But I've been empowered by God's spirit to sit with a young man and just express the fruit of God's spirit without even really meaning to and he finds in it the goodness of God I can tell you in a test today I'm only good because of Jesus only good I'm not saying that literally guys I just wish I could bleed it all over you I believe that I'm only good because of Jesus I told someone, I looked at him and said, do you know why I express any level of humility? He goes, why? I said, because when I was 18 years old, I realized how selfish I was reading the Bible, and I read the power of humility, and I chose humility and asked God to help me, and I think he did something with it. I'm empowered. You're empowered. That's your inheritance. Just be honest with God about where you are with it and ask him to help you. All right. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Anything of goodness in me and us, Lord, is all because of you. All of us are able to look into our own hearts and see how dirty, how broken, how selfish, and how of the world we really are, our aspirations, our longings, and our goals. Lord, we could all attest to that, but we thank you that by grace, through salvation, as we believe, you say, I will sanctify you, I will purify you, I will make you better than you've ever been, not because of your own strength and your own doing, but because I've, my spirit will be with you, he will be in you, and he will empower you, and it's going to be good. And so, Jesus, today, would you start stirring something holy and surprising right now in every one of our hearts? Jesus, we need you to stir us, God. We need you to awaken us. We need you to crush every lie that we have believed that's not true about us, about calling, about grace, God, about your love for us, about your inheritance, your empowering, God. Would you crush the lies? Lord, all the doubts that we wrestle with, Lord, I pray that they would just sort of just melt away as your presence shows up and you just say, I see all the questions, but I'm God. I just pray you would meet us in that way, God. Like in the transfiguration when you just revealed and people were like, oh, he's different, he's other than. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would awaken the holiness of Jesus inside of each of us. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you empower our belief. Amen. We'll have ministry teams available on both sides for anyone this morning. It's just God stirring something or you need prayer this morning. You just need God to do something in your life. We want to pray for you. These are normal people. The Gillums and the Andersons, they're just normal people. Listen, they got so many broken places. I'm just kidding, right? No, they would love to love on you all this morning. Just pray for you and help believe God with you and for you this morning. Take communion. Celebrate the work of God in your life. Celebrate it and ask Him to keep on doing it. Listen, if you want to come to the altar and just be before the Lord and lay some things down or have an honest conversation here, you can do it or you can just sit in your seat and worship.